Welcome to the Teaching Mythology Podcast. I'm your host, Leslie, from Education is Powerful. Come with me as we explore myths through a modern-day lens. Welcome, welcome. Today I'm going to share my lesson plan that I gave on my first day of mythology class every semester. And what's really interesting is that initially I didn't start doing this lesson plan, but I wanted to make my first day of class kind of exciting, give a little preview to the course. But ultimately, my goal was so that we would all have this common um, vocabulary around what mythology is. And it's because there are a lot of misconceptions about what mythology is and what mythology isn't. It's really interesting. I just got a comment on a reel that I did on Instagram where I was sharing my favorite mythology books for adults. And this person added a comment, and I think that they were being snarky. I mean, based on the Instagram handle that this person had, I think that that was their goal. They said, oh, you forgot one, the Bible, right? Implying that a mythology book for adults is the Bible. And my response back was, actually... The Bible would be an appropriate book because all mythology is a belief system, and it's a collection of stories shared that part that are part of that belief system, and all religious texts are mythologies. It's just that some mythologies are ancient, some are living, and that I just didn't include it in my list because it was an Instagram list for novels. But this is a huge misconception that a lot of my students had. When they heard the word myth, they immediately thought untrue, false. And that would color their perception of these stories. Or they would come to me with these questions about, you know, ooh, it's so weird that they're marrying their brothers and sisters. And they would get so caught up in these details that they were missing the the big picture, the themes, the archetypes, you know. So I created this lesson to do with the first day of class. And the minute I started doing it, it completely changed the tone of my class. So I recommend if you're going to start a unit or a class on mythology, that you start by defining what mythology is. And what's really powerful for students is not to define it for them, but to help them discover what mythology is. So Here's how I did it, and I called it a collaborative vocabulary activity. The first thing that we would do is I would have them brainstorm what they think of when they think of mythology. Kids would come to class with so many different perceptions of what mythology is and what it isn't, and I had to really navigate that because I had some kids who would come to class who loved mythology. They had read every Percy Jackson. They had, you know played all these games about mythology. They researched wiki articles about mythology. So that was the one set of kid that I had. And then I had this other set, because it does count as English credit in my state, that they would come just trying to take senior English, and they didn't want to take regular senior English. They wanted to take mythology. That sounded easier, more fun, but probably easier, let's be honest. So I would have them start by writing a definition. What do they think a myth is? And give me some examples. Then I would partner them. Um, well, sometimes I'd partner them. Sometimes I'd put them in groups of three or four. Sometimes we would do this whole class. But the next stage of the lesson 
was to give them some examples of myths. And we would read a creation story. We would read the myth of Orion. We would read uh, a summary of Hercules. And we would read the boy who cried wolf. These four stories kind of are archetypal mythology stories that I started with. As they would listen to or read these stories, they would write down what elements of that story they think make it a myth. What qualifies this as a myth? What defines it as a myth? If you are trying to define a myth to somebody who has no clue what that word is, how would you describe it? So let's go through each of these stories. So in the myth of Orion, there are actually a couple different versions. And I would tell different ones at different times. But one I would tell was that Orion was an incredible hunter. He was supposedly able to walk on water and had great strength and stature, greater than any mortal. He was a skilled blacksmith. He walked and traveled all across the ancient world. But at one point in time in his life, he lived with Artemis, who is the goddess of the hunt, right? She's the goddess of the moon. And she has her huntresses who would who would hunt with her every night. And Artemis, even though she had sworn to remain a virgin goddess, fell in love with Orion and wanted to marry him. However, her brother, who was Apollo, was not happy about this. And so one day, he saw Orion swimming in the ocean. And he could see just his head above water. And Apollo knew that this was his chance to get rid of Orion. So he said to his sister Artemis, I bet you can't hit that speck in the ocean. And Artemis, who is the greatest huntress, right? She says, of course I can. And she aimed her bow and arrow and she hit her mark and she killed Orion. And because of this, she was so mournful and in deep despair about this. She went to Zeus and begged Zeus to make Orion immortal. And so Zeus put Orion into the stars so that he could spend all of his nights with Artemis. So there's our first myth. And I would ask students, what makes this a myth, right? And they would usually come up with things like, oh, there's gods and goddesses and humans and mortals. And then some kids would say, oh, it explains how constellation Orion came to be in the stars. And some would catch on that there's a lesson or a moral um, that we should learn from the myth of Orion. Okay, the next story we would read would be The Boy Who Cried Wolf. And I think we all know this one. That's okay, I'm going to summarize it anyway. So there was once upon a time a shepherd boy who sat on the hill watching the sheep. And he got really bored. I mean, I, I'm sure it was quite lonely sitting there, just him and the sheep. And so he decided to entertain himself one day and he cried out, wolf, wolf, there's a wolf. And the village came running and there was no wolf. But the boy thought he was very funny. Then the next day, the boy got bored again and he cried out, wolf, wolf, there's a wolf. And the village comes running. And there's no wolf. And they tell him, don't cry wolf. No one will believe you. 
The day after that, a real wolf came to his flock, and they, he screamed and he yelled, Wolf, wolf, there's a wolf. But none of the villagers came to rescue him, and all of his sheep were scattered, and many were killed. So in this story, when I'd ask students, what makes this a myth? Immediately they would say, this is not a myth. This is a fairy tale or a folk, to- folk tale. And say, yes, you're right. Because often we forget that myths are stories that we tell that are passed down from generation to generation. And they aren't just what's written down um, or formal, Right. So this is a form of a myth. And so then once we got over that, students would say, okay, well, this is a myth because it it teaches a moral or a lesson. Very true. That's what we're trying to get out of it, right? But some students would also catch on to the fact that it might have unusual circumstances or there's a creature or a monster or an animal that is out to harm the main characters. So, okay, the next story I would tell would be a creation story. And I almost always told the Judeo-Christian creation story, and I had specific reasons why. So, I live in a very conservative religious community overall in the state of Utah. And I wanted students to know and understand that myth does not necessarily mean true or false. And I'm really trying to target that myths and mythology are a belief system. So I chose the predominant religion, um, Christianity, to tell their creation story, to try to get this idea across. So I would never read it straight from a version of the Bible. I would always have like a different take on it, um, just so it didn't feel so much like I was preaching at a pulpit or having students read sermons or read scripture, um, because there there is that fine line, right? So here's the Judeo-Christian creation story. In the beginning, there was nothing, and God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was a formless void, and the heavens and earth were in darkness. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he called the first, uh, or God separated the light from the darkness, and he called it the first, called it day and night. And that was the first day. On the second day, he said, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters. And this dome stretched above the waters, forming the sky. And night fell on the second day. On the third day, God said, let the waters be gathered together and let the dry land appear. And he called the earth to bear forth fruit and plants and trees of all kinds filled the earth. On the fourth day, God said, let there be lights in heaven to separate the night from the day. And he created two lights, a greater light and a lesser light, and set them in the sky to be the sun and the moon. He also created stars and set them above the moon. On the fifth day, God said, let there be living creatures on the air and the sea and in the dry and on the dry land. And they all began to fill the earth and multiply. On the morning of the sixth day, God created man in his image and called him Adam. From one of his ribs, he created the first woman 
and she was called Eve. And God looked out at all of his creation and saw that it was good. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his labors. Now, when I would ask students what makes this a myth, they were usually hesitant at first. And they would say, okay, well, it's a story about God. It's a story about how humans were created. It explains how things happened in earth, right? And we'd go through all the things that it explains. And it's at this point that I'd really introduce this idea of a belief system. So the last story is a summary of Hercules, not the whole myth, just a summary. And most kids know this myth or know this story, so it can be quite short. But we start with Hercules is considered to be the greatest of all heroes. And he's incredibly strong, right? And confident. And he is fearless in so many ways. Well, he was married to Megara and they had three children. And Hera was so jealous of Hercules, who was the son of Zeus, an immortal woman, that she was always trying to kill him. She had tried as a child when he was a child and she sent snakes into his crib, right? He was always able to survive Hera's attempts to kill him. So she decided instead of trying to kill him, she would punish him. And so once he was married an adult and had three kids, she sent madness to him and made him go mad. And he ended up in this fit of rage, killing his wife and his three children. It was brutal. Actually, like in the myth, it describes like blood splattering the walls. I mean, it is a brutal death. So he comes out of this madness and he is incredibly sorrowful. And he goes to the Oracle at Delphi to cleanse himself and to see what he can do to be forgiven of this this horrific crime. And the oracle says to him that he needs to go to his cousin, King Eurystheus, and perform 10 labors for him. Now, Eurystheus and Hera are working together, and their plan is to give Hercules the hardest labors they can possibly think of so that he might die, right? And then he'll be cursed in the underworld. Well, he ends up doing 12 labors, and we're going to read this further in the in the class and so I don't we don't go into too much detail about all these labors um but it ends with him going down to Hades and bringing the three-headed dog up from Hades, from Hades at the end of his life after all these labors he is seen as being forgiven and being worthy and he's allowed to enter Mount Olympus and live with the gods And so he becomes one of the gods. When I ask students, what do they see in this myth? They talk about, oh, it's about heroes and mythical monsters and great tales. And if they really know mythology, they might say it's a heroic journey. And I say, yes, 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 yes. So this is the first stage. And so generally students are in groups or pairs, and they only read one of these stories They write down what they think makes it a myth, and then they get together with another group or another person who has read a different story. 
They share their story, why they think that makes it a myth, and they add to it until they have all of the myths, right? So there are lots of different ways that you can do that depending on the amount of time and space available in your class and size of class. Once they have heard all four versions of the myths and they've written down their notes of what make it a myth, then they, as a partnership, have to decide on a definition, a one-sentence definition of what is a myth or what is mythology. And it's interesting to see them kind of wrestle with this idea and try to combine all these ideas. And it's really great. It's like deep knowledge for them. And then what I have them do is they will either get with another partnership or another group, or I just want them to hear other ideas. So they'll be with another group and they will then share all their definitions and they have to turn their, all of their definitions into one group definition, one sentence. So they all have to come to a consensus. This means they have to revise, edit, evaluate, reframe, rewrite, It's a really powerful technique to help students gain deep knowledge of what a word means. Once they have their group definition, they write it. Every group writes it on the board. So my board is covered with definitions. And then I take on the role of facilitator and I say, okay, what do we see in common? And I leave a space in the middle. And students will say, oh, it's about God's interaction with humans. And I'll write that. And then I'll start erasing where I see it in all the definitions, or they'll say, oh, it's about heroes, or it explains how um, the world was created. And I started racing, started racing. And we start forming our final definition, and they write that down. And this is our first day lesson. So at the end of the day, we usually end up with a definition that is something along these lines. Mythology is the study of belief systems, Stories about gods, heroes, and man. Often these stories teach a lesson or explain a natural phenomenon. And then we get to have a discussion of what belief systems mean. And I get to walk over to the map that I have in my classroom and talk about living mythologies and ancient mythologies. Ancient mythologies are dead. Nobody believes in them anymore. But living mythologies are mythologies that people still believe in. So we have the Judeo-Christian mythology, we have Indian mythology, we have some Native American mythologies, we have Chinese and Japanese mythologies, Aboriginal mythologies, and it's, it's really interesting for students to kind of go, wait, what do you, what? People still believe in some of these stories? And because I live in a, fair, a predominantly Christian group, You know, if somebody says, that's just weird, why would anybody believe in that? I will say, why does anybody believe that a man walked on water? And they they kind of stop and they look at me and I, and I'm like, yeah, living mythology. And then I get to do my little soapbox moment where I talk about the fact that we are not here to judge mythology. We're not here to judge whether it's right or wrong, true or false. That's not what we're here to do. These are just belief systems that tell us a lot about cultures and ancient societies, and we can learn from them. They have archetypes and themes, and these stories were told as an oral tradition for generations upon generations, passed down 
from parents to children to grandchildren. I picture them gathering around fires and tables and big meeting halls, telling these stories and telling these myths and gatherings. And then eventually someday, somebody wrote down the myth. And that's why we have it to this day. And that's powerful. There must be something really powerful and deep for something to endure so long and have such an impact on society. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to learn from them. We're not here to judge them. I'm not here to say whether it's true or false. We're not going to be uh, treating myth like a myth buster, right? Mythology is a study of belief systems, stories about God's heroes and man, and they're often used to teach a lesson or to explain a natural phenomenon. And that's what we're here for. So I love this because it really helped my class to start off on the right foot. I got kids talking to each other the first day. And then, of course, I did all the teacher things where I taught them how to work in partners and I taught them how to turn their desks to get into groups. And I got to teach kind of procedures and they got to see a lot of our per- my personality. And ultimately, what they learned was that my mythology class was a class of discussion. And it was one where we all had ideas and they were all valid and we could all share them and and, and that was a good thing. I also liked that we did it because it mirrored the oral tradition of mythology. I hope you like it. I hope you try it out in your classrooms. I've written a detailed blog post about this that I will link to in my show notes so that you can go straight to the blog if you want and um, read through it step by step. I've also done a lesson plan that you can get over at Teachers by Teachers if you don't want to recreate this yourself and you want the handouts and the myths. I hope you enjoy. Next week, we're going to start with a Greek creation story. And I'm going to share my experience of being evaluated while teaching this lesson and having to explain how Kronos cut off Uranus's penis and it fell into the ocean. It was good fun. Thanks for joining me today on Teaching Mythology. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And I'll see you next time.